Welcome to the Natural Health for People and Pets podcast, a show that aims to empower you with the knowledge and tools needed to take control of your own health and well-being, as well as providing health-promoting strategies for the dogs in your life. The world of health and nutrition can be overwhelming, so what better way to understand what works and what doesn't, what's evidence-based and what's not, than to hear it from someone in the know? So, please welcome your host of the show, accredited naturopath and nutritionist, Narelle Cook. Welcome back to Natural Health for People and Pets. I'm co-host of the show, Glenn Cook, and I'm going to introduce the host of the show, Narelle Cook. Hello, everyone. What's our topic for today? Really interesting today, a bit different. We're sort of going to shift as much as I can away from health and talk about behaviour and how what we're feeding our dogs impacts behaviour. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, let's give a big shout out to our show sponsors. For anyone who's listened to any of my episodes, you'll know that I love big dog pet foods. Big dog do amazing raw food patties with lots of different varieties. For our dogs, we've got a dog that needs to be on low fat, so there's low fat varieties. We've got crazy active shepherds that need higher calorie and there's lamb for higher calorie options. Huge variety within the big dog range for all different types of dogs. So Mm. Check out their website, bigdogpetfoods.com and sign up for their newsletter. Like they have some really awesome competitions every month. They give away lots of prizes every month. So if you haven't gone onto their website, do that. Sign up to their newsletter. Check out their Facebook page. They have a great Instagram page as well. So jump on all of it. I hear they've got a really good technical writer too. Maybe. <laughs> I do some technical writing for Big Dog. So if you want to see some interesting articles on dog health, go to their resources tab on their webpage. Mm-hmm. And our other show sponsor is Bell and Bone. Bell and Bone are an Australian company and all the treats they make are made in Australia. So they do a range of dental sticks, collagen sticks, superfood treats and freeze-dried treats. They only use like really high quality ingredients. And what I love, like Big Dog, is they give complete transparency when it comes to the actual ingredients that they're putting in the food. So the dental sticks contain active ingredients that are proven to freshen breath and fight plaque and tartar. And their collagen sticks are designed to help boost mobility in our dogs and just to promote better health and well-being overall. You can find the Bell and Bone products online or in any of your favourite pet stores across Australia. That's bellandbone.com.au. So definitely check them out as well. And they sent a bunch of stuff to us just recently that we're going to A, have a look through, B, give our dogs a trial run on and C, do a video on that. I've tried a lot of their products already, but it's good to sort of get experience across the whole range and Mm. how our dogs respond and what we think of it. So we'll be completely open and honest with our thoughts on that when it comes to it. Okay. So thank you to our wonderful show sponsors. We really appreciate having you on board and your ethical service to the canine community as well. Now on to our topic. Yes. I find this topic really interesting because when it does come to behavior, not many people really think about diet and how that might be playing a role. I'm really happy to hear that there are dog trainers now that are incorporating diet as part of their overall dog training and dog behavior modification programs. Well, Kana does it too. Yeah, the girls here are great. Well, Kana and Kristen and the canine evolution. Canine Evolution, yeah, they're doing it under your guidance. I mean, they're coming to you and they're speaking to the clients about what are you eating, when did you last have a vet checkup, have you had a mm. blood panel test, and then they're organizing consults with you so you can cross-check what's going on health-wise so we can rule out the biology issues um, Mm. before we get into the behavioural issues. 
Absolutely. And yeah, the girls do a great job with that. And it sounds cliche, but we literally are what we eat. And you know, what impacts mood and drives behavior, whether it's us or our dogs, are biochemical processes in the body. And what drives these biochemical processes are the nutrients that come in from the foods that we feed our dogs day in and day out. So what this means is that pretty much everything we choose to feed our dogs, it's either going to directly or indirectly be affecting their biochemistry, their physiology, you know, including the brain, which will ultimately impact on how they behave. That makes complete sense to me. It does. And I find, like, I really think it's important to sort of bring it back to that biochemistry level because a lot of people, you know, they might be aware, you know, when it comes to human behavior that sort of the main drivers are, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters. But we don't often think about that when we're thinking about how our dog's behaving. And the thing with hormones and neurotransmitters is, like I said, their end result or sort of their along the way of biochemical pathways in the body. And, you know, our body's just got hundreds of thousands of different biochemical pathways going on. But for those hormones and neurotransmitters to be made, they need what we term, you know, essential nutrient cofactors. So let's take an example, serotonin. Mm -hmm is our calming neurotransmitter for us and our dogs. But to get to serotonin, firstly, we need to start off with the amino acid tryptophan, and then tryptophan needs to get converted to 5-hydroxytryptophan, and then that gets converted to serotonin. But for, you know, to go from step A to B to C, we need enzymes, and it's those enzymes that need certain nutrients like zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, vitamin C, calcium. So if a dog's diet's deficient in any of those, then you are going to compromise the body's ability to make, you know, key neurotransmitters, key hormones that are going to impact their behavior. That's a really simplistic overview, but it still sort of covers the crux of how that works from a nutritional perspective. The other major connection point between what we're feeding our dogs and how they might be behaving is due to what's called the enteric nervous system. If we step back for a second, we think of the nervous system as like one big umbrella term. Mm -hmm. The first breakdown of that is you've got the central nervous system, which consists of like the brain and the spinal cord. And then you've got the peripheral nervous system, which is pretty much everything else other than the brain and spinal cord. And then the peripheral nervous system has lots of subcategories as well, one of which is the autonomic nervous system. So the enteric nervous system sort of falls under the autonomic nervous system, along with things like people might be familiar, particularly dog trainers, with the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And just while we're on that and talking about diet, for good health long-term, we really need to, and our dogs really need to be spending most of their day in the parasympathetic dominant state. So that's considered our rest and digest state. But because of the world we live in, and I think it's just as applicable to our dogs as well, because, you know, they do pick up on our energy and our mood and behavior, is that most of us are living in that sympathetic nervous system dominant state. Again, most people will be familiar with that as the flight or fight response. Mm. Every analogy when it comes to fight or flight, it's all about running away from the lion. But our bodies seriously don't know the difference between if we're stuck in peak hour traffic fighting road rage or if we're literally running away from the lion. The physiological response, you know, and the cortisol response is the same. But what happens in terms of digestion, when we're in that flight or fight response, the body considers that a threat to life. So it's going to prioritise all of those bodily functions that support life and it's going to minimize any bodily processes that aren't essential. So one of those that isn't considered essential when you're running away from a lion is digestion. So when we're in that sympathetic dominant state or our dogs are in that sympathetic dominant state, 
digestion is shutting down. We're not producing as much gastric acid. We're not producing the enzymes like blood flow is diverted from the gut to the muscles because, you know, we're not going to be sitting down and eating a meal when we're trying to survive. And this is why as humans, we shouldn't really be sitting down and eating a meal if you're upset or, you know, if you've just had an argument because literally that food's just going to sit there like a heavy lump in your gut and not do you any favours. Mm. I digress with that, but it's really important. Like the sympathetic nervous system and its effect on health and behaviour is really important. But coming back to the enteric nervous system, so it governs the function of the gastrointestinal tract and actually links it to the central nervous system. So the enteric nervous system is often referred to as the second brain. What this means is that like every time we eat something or every time our dog eats something, the enteric nervous system is sending messages to our brain, which affects our emotional state. So we know that food components communicate with our genome, with the genome of our microbiome. We know that diseases of the brain can impact gastrointestinal health and function. And we know that diseases or any dysregulation of the gut, particularly the microbiome, has been linked to mental illness, such as things like depression and even neurodegenerative diseases. So there's an expression in, well, in my world, the naturopathic world is leaky gut, leaky brain. So it's really, really important that what we're putting into our stomach does have a powerful impact on our brain and our mood. Mm. One of the areas that I've learned from you and listening to other people who appear to know what they're talking about in these areas, including veterinarians, veterinarian behaviorists, anybody worth their salt really in the industry, talking about the impact on inflammation on the system. Absolutely. Like inflammation now, it's so just widely accepted. It's pretty much the root cause of every disease state, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, like a lot of the mental health disorders now, they're coming back to an inflammatory driver. And when it comes to our dogs, this is, I guess, skipping ahead a little bit. You know, if you go back and listen to my episode on kibble, Mm. you'll learn that kibble, by the very way it's manufactured, is a highly inflammatory food. And research is starting to come out now that supports that when dogs are fed a kibble-based diet every day for their entire lives, it is having a significant impact not only on their physical health in terms of, you know, all the diseases that it can sort of contribute to, but also on their behaviour. So inflammation, and it doesn't even have to be overt, you know, a blood test is sort of like, red flagging problems, even low grade subclinical inflammation can be impacting on health and behavior and neurotransmitters. Mm. So there was some good research done in 2019 on the effect of low grade inflammation on neurotransmitter function and behavior in humans. But like I said, it's just as applicable to our dogs as well. Mm. I really like that phrase that you used before, leaky gut, leaky brain. Yeah, it's a good catchphrase, but it's true because what impacts one, like they're so linked what impacts one is going to impact the other and it's it's bi-directional, mm. really important. So I guess what I might do to simplify things, because this is a topic that I could literally talk for hours on and I did a similar presentation recently for the International Association of Canine Professionals, which was an awesome conference that they held. Unfortunately, it was virtual because of COVID, but it was a lot of great information presented. And when I originally put my presentation together, I had well over 100 slides and I'm like, oh, I've only got an hour and a half. So I managed to pull it back to about 75. And so today it's going to be even more condensed. So I'm really just going to touch on the key points that, you know, the average pet owner can take on board, think about, and just make some simple changes to what they're doing with their dog's diet. Mm. 
One of those things that they should be doing is downloading your course that you've got on how to read kibble brands and so forth. Yeah, how to understand commercial pet food labels. Mm. It's available on my website and it's like a really short two-hour course with like lots of mini lessons on just how to understand every aspect of a label, how to interpret what the name means, what all the different words mean, the ingredients mean, uh, any claims that really aren't regulated, most of them, and mean nothing. Yep. So, yeah, really great place to start. Well, it helps you do the work and helps you understand what you're actually putting into that mouth and ultimately into that stomach that leads to the brain and the behaviour of the dog. Mm. I mean, I guess we sort of touched on it before, but, yeah, there's so many trainers now that are insisting that dogs come off kibble as part of the training program because of just how detrimental it is and what a significant difference they see when they put dogs onto a raw food or even a cooked food diet because of everything we're going to talk about today. Well, look at the impact and the difference it's had on our own dogs with their energy levels, with their improvement in the problems that they've had with ears and all sorts of things in the past. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if we've spoken about Opie, probably have before, but was it Opie or Quincy? Opie. Because, Opie. because, you know, like everyone else, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And, you know, I used to feed all my dogs kibble and, and Opie used to be such a, just a quiet and, well, we used to call him our potato. We <laughs> <So laughs> still do. We still do. But seriously, when we switched him to a raw food diet, within probably a week, he just went from this sort of lethargic little potato that would sit in the corner to like doing zoomies around the place. His whole personality picked up and now we've got like this lunatic Frenchie. Well, he's not really a lunatic. He's just happy. Like mm. before he was, he had nerve issues and all sorts of things where he was very mistrusting. and He used to vomit a lot. Yeah, he did. He used to projectile vomit. Like he'd go and eat and within probably 10 minutes, he'd bring half it or all of it up on the carpet. So mm. There was a range of problems that he had, but one of them that was significant was he just seemed really withdrawn from everything. Yeah. It was incredible to see the transformation within a very short amount of time. Once his diet had been corrected, that was more suitable for him and his digestion. It changed his personality and it changed the joy that he actually had for life again. It was great to witness. You need to see it. So that's why I encourage all dog owners to try and make some of the changes I'm going to talk about today because once you see it, it's mind-blowing and you wouldn't want to not do that for your dog if you've got the opportunity. It's kind of a shame that you and I don't video a lot of the things that we do with our dogs. I and know. There's people out there who video every movement of their day from their bowel movements to the brushing their teeth to everything that they do. And you and I don't do that and don't get in the habit of it because we're not really... Especially me, yeah. Yeah, we're not really camera... Well, I mean, I do some funny things on Instagram and so forth, but we just don't sort of document everything. But, you know, some people show every single movement that's going Mm. on with their dog. But there are some significant things that have happened both in diet, behavior and training that really we should have documented to show people this has happened and this is the before and after so they could actually see it themselves and bear witness to the work or whatever changed Mm. Unfortunately, I was going to say, oh, we can do that with the next dog, but with any dogs we get now, they're all going to be on like a species-appropriate raw food diet from the very beginning, so we're not going to have that before and after. So if we just start with protein, so many pet parents might be surprised to hear that the majority of commercial kibbles, particularly, you know, a lot of the supermarket brands, they are bordering on being vegan 
dog foods. They really don't contain much animal protein at all. And if you do my online course on understanding commercial pet food labels, you'll get a really good insight into how that can actually be the case. And the protein that is there, most of it's coming from, you know, cheap sources like soy and corn and gluten meal. And the problem with that is that then, you know, they have a low biological value because they don't contain all of the essential amino acids that our dogs need, but they also have a lower digestibility which is why a lot of companies have to add back in synthetic amino acids so our dogs basically don't die. But there was a really interesting study done and it assessed the protein levels in several mainstream puppy kibble formulas and it found that only 75% of the protein that was listed in the guaranteed analysis was actually available for the pups to absorb and utilise at a, like a physiological biochemical level. So what that meant was the pups were consuming less protein than what AFCO recommend as the minimum level required for normal development in puppies. So that's really scary. That's terrible. That's not scary. That's abominable. Yeah, because most of those minimums are set to prevent disease. So if you're not even hitting the minimums for normal puppy growth and development, then yeah, I mean, puppyhood, it's such a critical time for growth and development. And Aside from like the more obvious effects of insufficient protein, things like reduced muscle mass, poor growth, cartilage and bone issues, inadequate protein has been associated with shortening of the gastrointestinal villi. So the villi are these like little finger-like projections in the uh, small intestine, which enormously increase the surface area of the gut, which means our dogs can maximise absorption of the nutrients that are coming in from the diet. So if those villi are compromised, like automatically you're reducing the amount of nutrients that your dog can actually absorb. So it's not what we eat, it's what we absorb. You can eat the best diet in the world, but if you're not absorbing any of it, then you know you might as well be eating cardboard. Insufficient protein is associated with reduced organ weight, particularly the brain, thinning of the myelin sheath, disruption of endocrine function. So there are you know, hormone generating organs and behavioural and learning defects. So these puppy dog kibbles, the dogs weren't even getting the minimum protein that they needed from them for normal growth and development. So all of those issues are potentially could happen to those dogs. So if you are feeding like a standard kibble, one of the best things that you can do is to add in some like real whole food sources of quality protein. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Things like eggs, you might add an egg two or three times a week to your dog's food. Muscle meats, things like beef mince, chicken, turkey, If pet owners are comfortable, they can add in some chicken hearts or some organ meats like liver and kidney. I mean, you can get all of those from the supermarket. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or really easily accessible. Canned sardines are really cheap and easy. Just drain off the fluids. That's going to be adding some quality protein. So there's really no excuse. If you don't want to go down the whole raw food feeding or even cooked whole foods, adding in some human quality protein sources is going to have enormous benefit for your dog. So that's protein, Mm -hmm. really important, like fundamental macronutrient for our dogs. So the next nutrient category is carbohydrates. And unlike protein, carbohydrates aren't essential for our dogs. There are times when it can be beneficial for our dogs to have higher levels of carbs. But the problem is that most kibbles contain between 30 and 60% carbohydrates, where dogs will naturally select a diet that's around 7% carbs, And, you know, studies have shown wolves will select a diet that's around 1% carbs. And whatever the source of the carbohydrate, ultimately it's broken down into glucose or sugar in the body. And because kibbles, you know, they're so highly refined and it's the same with human diets. Like the more processed a carbohydrate is, the more rapidly it's absorbed 
by the body and the greater glucose or blood sugar spike it creates. And some researchers have now described how this like sugar high, because that's really what it is, can manifest in dogs as hypersensitivity to normal everyday stimuli. It can lead to uncooperative and disobedient behavior and just like a general hyperactivity and lack of focus. So, you know, how many dogs out there that are like displaying all of those behaviors? Like, mm. And it could simply come back to, you know, they're having a sugar high from their high carb diet. But, you know, whenever blood glucose levels spike, that's, that's a danger sort of position for the body to be in. So it's counterbalanced by insulin release which pulls the blood glucose down, but often it drops to even lower than baseline. And again, researchers are starting to show that this can lead to dogs becoming lethargic, moody, nervous, irritable. And it's not that it will be every dog. You know, like some people are much more sensitive to blood glucose fluctuations than others. I mean, you and I are a classic example. Like We could both have a high-carb meal and you could probably go another like six hours and feel completely fine, whereas an hour later I'm getting like moody and I can't concentrate and I'm getting hangry. Yes, I'm very aware of that. Hence how we have to carry the emergency protein bar in your bag. Yeah, we used to before we got locked down in COVID for like two years almost. We don't go anywhere anymore. But yeah, whenever we used to leave the house, if it was going to be more than three hours, I needed to have like a stash of protein in my bag so I didn't get hangry. and Let everybody know about it. And unpleasant to be around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The same situation can happen in some dogs. So it's definitely worth considering. And the other issue with carbs, especially those containing gluten, so wheat's the main one that you're going to find in dog food in that regard, but it triggers the release of zonulin, which is just a compound in the body. But the sole role of zonulin is to increase what's called the gap junction in the gastric mucosa. So in the cells lining our guts and our dog's guts, they should be nice and closely packed together. But zonulin causes them to come apart and leads to what most people will know as leaky gut. So this whole situation of leaky gut and gluten sensitivity has been linked to dozens of diseases, including impaired brain function, learning disabilities, and just general behavioral changes. So one of the big problems from the proteins that are in the gluten molecule is that once they get into the bloodstream, it's like anything that shouldn't be in the blood. Once it gets into the blood because of a leaky gut situation, for example, like the body sees whatever it is as a foreign invader and will mount an immune response. So the problem with gluten is, well, the problem with gliadin, which is a component of gluten, is that it really closely resembles the thyroid tissue. So if you think about whether it's us or our dogs, if you're eating a really high gluten-containing diet day in and day out, and you've got like a leaky gut and that gliadin proteins, you know, lots of it's in the bloodstream day in and day out, and the body's just constantly mounting an immune response to try and get rid of it it's inevitable that the body's accidentally going to attack its own thyroid tissue because it looks so similar to the gliadin molecule. So when that can then trigger sort of autoimmune thyroiditis and the research around thyroid dysfunction and behavior is huge. So most people, when they think of an underactive thyroid, they think of weight gain and lethargy and dry skin and a poor coat. I mean, human and dogs are very similar in that regard. But an underactive thyroid in dogs, you know, some of the symptoms might be unexplained aggression, which is a lot of the work I do with canine evolution girls, Mm. the trainers here. So unexplained aggression, anxiety, hyperactivity, phobias, and just generally erratic behavior. So most people wouldn't think of testing thyroid hormones when their dog's presenting with spontaneous unexplained aggression or you know sort of any of those other symptoms that I mentioned. That's the T4 marker, isn't it? Yeah. In Australia, they really just test T4 
over in the States with, I think it's Dr. Jean Dodds, they do like one of the most comprehensive thyroid panels because like Jean Dodds is like thyroid is such a big thing for her. She's written a whole book on it. It's really great. I think it's called the thyroid epidemic. So you should Google it people. And if that's something you're interested in or suspect might be a problem for your dog. So there are other thyroid markers and ideally, you know, you would get everything to see a full picture, but just testing T4, at least it can give you a bit of an insight as to whether it's sort of part of the problem. Mm. And if T4 is normal, then you could probably just assume that it's not playing a part. The thyroid's not playing a part in the behavioral problem. Definitely worth checking. I know this is off the behavior thing, but the other thing I see a lot of with gluten, kibbles that are very high in cereal grains that contain gluten, is that it's also been linked to IgE allergic reactions. So IgE is like a true allergy in dogs. It can promote histamine release from mast cells. So, you know, that's what causes our dogs to have like that red itchy skin and ear issues and even like inflammatory bowel disease, which is really common in a lot of dogs too. So that's sort of like the carbohydrate picture. But when it comes to carbs, like I'm certainly not anti-carbs because not all carbs are created equally. Mm. There's lots of research around the benefits of adding plant matter into like both our diets and our dog's diets, particularly for senior dogs. So when we're talking about behavior and diet, the brain, it's extremely vulnerable to what's called oxidative damage. So that's where free radicals, you know, these little molecules zoom around the body and damage our cells, damage the DNA within the cells. And they can cause the death of our brain cells and our dog's brain cells. And this can lead to reduced cognitive function and changes in behavior. So senior and geriatric dogs They often display what's called canine cognitive dysfunction, which is pretty much equivalent to our Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. But it can sort of manifest as impaired learning and memory. So, you know, a lot of people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, not always the case. Increased anxiety, disorientation, a reduced ability to interact socially, house soiling, destructive behaviours and disturbances in sleep patterns. So they're all really common symptoms for dogs, like older dogs, that are suffering this canine cognitive dysfunction. But lots of emerging research to show that feeding these older dogs a diet rich in antioxidants that comes from like our fruits and vegetables can actually counteract the effects of that free radical damage on the brain and lead to reduced decline in cognitive function and improvements in all of those behaviours. Every time I like I read papers around I don't know, I've got a soft spot for old dogs. Who doesn't? But whenever I read those papers around, you know, how senior dogs, just by having like fruits and veggies added to their diet can literally make a significant difference to how they're feeling and how they're behaving. I love it. Like it just makes me smile every time because it's it just gives me so much hope that so many people just write off our senior dogs as, oh, well. They're old. It's just their time. Can't train them. You know, it's inevitable. They're going to get sick and diseased and all of that. But it's not inevitable. It's just what society has come to accept with mm. old age because it's usually the end result of a lifetime of bad diet, whether it's us or our dogs. Yeah, it's kind of the same when people enter retirement homes, when they're getting into more of that elderly palliative care sort of situation. You've seen some of the diets that they give them there. It's just Mm. cereals and porridges and tea and toast is how it's described tea and toast yeah Mm. which is certainly not conducive to good physical let alone mental health well i think the tea would probably be okay well tea has antioxidants yeah but looking at the carbohydrate category it's really easy for pet owners to incorporate some plant matter so like with the protein it doesn't have to be complicated you might want to start by just giving your dog some of the leftover veggies that the kids don't want to eat, some broccoli and zucchini or whatever it is, Brussels sprouts, you know, all of those would be great additions to a dog's diet. Some fruit, 
you know, I just bought a couple of punnets of blueberries. So no doubt when Glenn's eating the blueberries, he will be throwing the dogs a blueberry or two. And that's little things like that can really make a difference to our dog's health and their behavior. And so it doesn't have to be complicated. I agree. So we've sort of spoken about protein and carbs. If we move on to fats now, fats really are like fundamental when it comes to the brain and the body and absolutely have a significant impact on the behavior of our dogs because, I mean, the brain is 60% fat. So we need lots of good fats in our dog's diets for brain structure and function, for hormone production. All of our hormones are pretty much based on cholesterol. So it's not good to have too high cholesterol, but you also don't want to have too little either. So we need that for our hormones. Our dogs need a lot of good fats for just the integrity of cell membrane. So if you think about every single cell in the body has what's called a bilipid layer, two layers of fat that move across each other. And we need those lipid bilayers to be really fluid and flexible to get all the nutrients into the cells and to sort of get the metabolic waste products out of the cells and, you know, for our neurotransmitters to be able to communicate with each other, really important from that aspect. But our dogs also need good fats for the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, things like vitamin A, D, E and K, and they're particularly important for immune function. You've always sort of got to have that caveat around fats that people understand that there are essential fats and there are trans fats, which are terrible for human consumption and for animal consumption as well. Yeah, there absolutely is good fats and bad fats. And it's really unfortunate. Maybe you, sort of the whole keto movement's changed a lot of people's perception of fats in the human nutrition world. But, you know, so many, and I have to say women in particular, still have this fat phobia in their diets. And, you know, they think if I can, by eating low fat, it's going to keep them slim and healthy. And it, like the complete opposite is true. Like it took me, I don't know how old I was, probably took me till I was 30 to flick that switch of my 20s fat phobia. And I started embracing fats. And the ironic thing is, as soon as I embrace fats, I kind of remember it's been years since a day has gone by where I haven't had a minimum of like at least half an avocado. You know, I have lots of nuts and seeds in my diet. But once I started embracing fats, like my weight has been the most stable ever. But that's the thing, right? I think people are conditioned to hear the word fat and it triggers an alarm bell in their head. Mm. So when they hear it, it has this intrinsic reactive state where you think, oh, fats are bad. I've always been told that eating fat makes you fat. Mm. Yeah. And like I said, hopefully most people understand that's not the case anymore. Sugar makes you fat and bad fats are not healthy, but good fats are absolutely fundamental for everything that I've just mentioned for our dogs, you know, for us as well, for regulating like appetite hormones, hormones in generally, skin health, gut health. Yeah, we need fats. Don't be afraid of fats. So most dogs probably do get enough fats in their diet. But, you know, there are some dogs that have had chronic pancreatitis, so they actually need to be on like a super low fat diet for their entire lives. So that can become a problem for those dogs. And the other thing with fats is that most dogs diets like us, because, you know, dogs nutritionally reflect a lot of the bad habits we have as humans with our diets. But most dogs' diets are disproportionately high in what's called omega-6 fatty acids relative to omega-3 fatty acids. So in a really generalized explanation, omega-6 fats are basically pro-inflammatory and can contribute to chronic disease. And omega-3 fats have an anti-inflammatory effect in the body. And the reason why dogs' diets tend to be so disproportionately high in omega-6 fats is because you know, a lot of the ingredients in kibbles, things like corn and soy and the vegetable oils, they're all really high in omega-6 fats. 
So what we need to do to counterbalance that in our dog's diet. So again, if you've got a dog on a standard kibble, chances are they're getting way too much omega-6. If you feed a lot of chicken, chicken is actually disproportionately high in omega-6 as well. And because chicken's so cheap, a lot of people who do feed raw probably feed a lot more chicken than is ideal. But the best way to counterbalance that in either instance is to add in some omega-3 sources of fat. So the best sources are the marine sources. So things like our fatty fish, salmon, sardines, mackerel are like really easy to source examples there. And the reason the marine sources are so important is because they're directly providing those active constituents, EPA and DHA, which are doing the good work. So the EPA and the DHA are what has the anti-inflammatory effect in the body, whereas, you know, a lot of pet owners will add in things like chia seeds and flax seeds and, you know, other nuts and seeds into their dog's diets as a source of omega-3 fats. And it's true that they are, but they're actually providing what's called alpha-linolenic acid, which is like the base omega-3 fat in the body. And like we spoke about earlier with the neurotransmitters, like there's these biochemical pathways. So that alpha-linolenic acid needs to be converted sort of up the biochemical pathway until it finally reaches EPA and DHA. Unfortunately for our dogs, and to us to an extent as well, the research has shown once dogs have passed weaning, they can't convert, like the enzyme that's needed to convert that alpha-linolenic acid into EPA and DHA, it just doesn't work anymore. And for humans, it's only about anywhere from 5 to 15% efficient based on what source you're reading. So things like flax and chia and nuts and seeds they're awesome. Like don't not put them in your dog's diet because they are providing lots of essential trace nutrients, things like, you know, zinc and manganese and selenium, which are really, really critical for our dog's immune systems, their joints and ligaments and tissues and just overall health. But don't rely on them as a source of EPA and DHA. So if you've got a dog, you know, with, um, let's say, arthritis that really needs a high anti-inflammatory diet, you need to be adding in marine sources and you probably need to supplement with a fish oil. You usually recommend krill oil, don't you? Well, I love Antonol Rapid. So that's a combination of krill and green lip muscle. But I do also use and sometimes, you know, need to recommend like just a regular sort of omega-3 fish oil as well. But the thing is when it comes to fish oils, regardless of whether it's krill, green lip muscle, you know, regular fish oil, quality matters. Like this is one of my soapbox topics when it comes to fish oil because like I cringe when I see what's out there on the market and what people are giving to their dogs and themselves as well. So if you're, let's say a lot of people with dogs prefer to give a liquid omega-3 product because it's easier to dose and dispense. But if you're buying like a large tub of liquid fish oil in a plastic tub, I mean, that's terrible because one, fish oil is not one of these things you want to economize on by buying bulk. As soon as you open that bottle or turn that pump because a lot of the big bulk animal fish oils omega-3 products have like those pump heads on them Mm -hmm. that oil is starting to oxidize and go rancid so giving your dog rancid fish oil is far worse than not giving them any fish oil at all and the other thing with liquid fish oils in plastic tubs is plastic even though it's not perceivable and it's not going to be like leaking oil out of it it's still porous to some degree so if that containers in you know been sitting on a shelf for a long time or you know sitting in your cupboard for a long time it is breathing so for me I always recommend to clients if they're going to use a liquid fish oil buy it in like a brown like a dark amber glass bottle Mm -hmm. and just buy small amounts and whatever you fish oil you buy I don't care what it says on the label keep it in the fridge most I mean most say refrigerate after opening but absolutely to me not negotiable you need to refrigerate all fish oils 
The capsules are less prone to oxidation than the liquids, but they still can easily oxidize. And the other potential risk with fish oils when it comes to quality is that they contain a lot of heavy metals, they contain a lot of persistent organic pollutants and like all these other toxic compounds because our oceans are so contaminated these days. Mm. And if you're just buying like a bulk tub from like a local discount shop at bargain basement prices, chances are they haven't spent the money to remove those heavy metals and those toxic compounds. Mm. That's why I'm so particular about the fish oils I use for my human clients and my dog clients. I will only use the practitioner only branded oils. The reason for that is I know I can ring their tech support and say, hey, email me the third party report that shows me that there's no toxins uh, or heavy metals in this product. And I can have that within minutes. So Mm -hmm. I love that peace of mind because again, you know, giving your dogs toxic compounds and heavy metals and rancid fats is not doing them any favors. And, you know, I might've said, I don't know if I've said this before on this show, but there are some naturopaths, if they're dealing with humans with like serious health issues, particularly cancers and, you know, who are immunocompromised or couples that just are really struggling to conceive. So a lot of fertility issues, those naturopaths will point blank say, do not consume anything that comes out of the ocean because of how contaminated the ocean and anything in it is. Mm. So, I mean, that's pretty full on. I feel like we've gone off track again with the quality issue, but it's really important to be aware of the quality. While we're talking about fats in terms of behavior, there's lots of evidence now for both people and dogs to suggest that omega-3 deficiency may be associated with mood and behavioral disorders. And A lot of research done on puppies because DHA, which only comes from marine sources, is absolutely crucial for optimal like neurological development in puppies. Studies have shown that when they supplement the diet of puppies with a pure DHA, it leads to improvements in learning, behavior and trainability. There was a really interesting study on German Shepherds done just over 10 years ago now that showed that aggressive dogs actually had lower blood levels of DHA and a higher ratio of that omega-6 to omega-3 than non-aggressive dogs. Now, I always say, well, well, I always think, well, that's just one study and I haven't seen anything that's replicated it. But it's still really interesting and it's still, I think, really important for dog owners where aggression is an issue to consider something like supplementing, you know, a high-quality, high-strength EPA DHA product because, One, it's not going to hurt, and if it could potentially help, then why wouldn't you? I mean, it's such a cheap and safe option to try with our dogs. But you wouldn't do that exclusive to getting a professional trainer to come in and work with you as well if you're dealing with aggression. Well, I think it's the combination of all of the above. Absolutely, but I just realised that, you know, I'm saying if you try fish oil for aggression, it may help, but it's never one thing. Mm. Like, you do need to do that in, let's like, consider the bigger picture of what else might be going on but it can certainly it's like with humans you know with behavioral disorders if they're you know they might be put on a an antidepressant medication for example but there's really good evidence to show that antidepressants work better with talk therapy and work even better when certain nutrients are supplemented alongside it so it's the combination i agree i think it all complements each other it's a round table handshake that needs to assist each other absolutely and just another study while we're talking about fats is with senior dogs, again, this is one of my happy studies with senior dogs, is that just adding in some MCT oil. So most people might be familiar with the medium chain triglyceride oil, which comes most often from coconut and it's available in the supermarkets. Just adding some MCT oil into the diets of senior dogs with that cognitive dysfunction 
led to significant improvements in their learning, their trainability, their mood. They were less anxious. They were more social. So again, really awesome outcomes. And I guess rounding things up a little bit, I mentioned at the beginning that there's lots of research and evidence that highlights, you know, that powerful link between the gut microbiome and the brain and our mood and behavior. So making sure that our dogs are getting like a really wide variety of different whole foods that includes prebiotics and probiotics is also going to be really important, not just for their health, but also for their overall behavior. So when we're talking about prebiotics, they're just a type of fiber that feeds the bacteria in our dog's large intestines. By doing that, it leads to the creation of metabolites called short-chain fatty acids, and they actually act to reduce inflammation in the body. They promote better gut health and basically reduce disease risk overall. And that's the same with us as it is with our dogs. So things that you might want to try and add in to your dog's diet, asparagus. Most people don't think of adding asparagus to their dog's diet, but that's just lightly steaming or sautéing some asparagus is a really awesome source of prebiotics. Mushrooms, bananas, apples, sweet potato, oats, flaxseed. So they're all really dog appropriate sources of prebiotics. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes to probiotics, the research is super clear that diversity is key. So the more diverse the microbiome, the better health overall and the lower disease risk, again, for humans and dogs. So probiotic-rich foods that you might want to consider giving your dog, things like kefir, sauerkraut, plain sugar-free yogurt, so usually like a Greek potset yogurt, kombucha, or you might just do a, like a probiotic supplement. With those fermented foods, things like sauerkraut and kefir and kombucha, like you do need to start small and build up. If you just dump a heap of those into your dog's food, chances are they're going to get very bloated and very gaseous and uncomfortable and probably get loose stools as well. So starting small amounts, building up. And, you know, with probiotic supplements, I always recommend that people rotate through them. So when you finish one bottle, buy a different brand with a different variety of bacterial strains in it because every bacteria has its own health benefit. So unless someone is targeting a specific health problem that requires a specific strain of probiotic, you really are better just getting those multi-strain, high-strength multi-strain formulas and just rotating through them as you go. I think we'll leave it there. Like that's a lot of information, but it's also a lot of really simple tips that you can start doing today to help with your dogs, not only their health, but their behavior. And I mean, I'm always going to say that a raw food diet is the best diet that we can give our dogs, particularly if there's behavioral issues or even like a fresh whole food cooked diet would be like the next step. If that's something you're not comfortable with doing yourself, that's fine. You don't have to be making like spending hours in the kitchen preparing your dog's food every week. There's some great commercial options out there now for both raw and cooked foods. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Big Dog because of the variety that they have. It sort of caters to every taste preference that dogs have and, you know, fat level and calorie level. So, you know, you might just start by incorporating some of those commercial raw patties in addition to kibble and just slowly try and wean out the kibble. Again, this is sort of particularly if you have dogs with behavioral issues and do that for a few months and just while you're getting the trainers in and working on that aspect. And I think like people will really be surprised at the difference that it can make. Absolutely. And if you're going to choose something like a commercial raw patty, like we did when we went on our journey to do it, just make sure you're checking the transparency and the backup that you actually get from them, which again was something that Narelle extensively did. And that's why we chose to have Big Dog as a sponsor, primarily because A, we looked into it, 
B, we had good people in the industry who were highly recommending it as well, who had been to their factory and researched it, which was Brittany Young. Yeah. People that we trust and people we acknowledge are right up there have already gone out there and, and sought out the information that we needed to get back. And when Narelle went and looked at it for herself, she came back and said, yep, this is what we want to give our dogs. This is the grade and the care that a commercial food can actually offer us without losing integrity. Yeah. And I know, you know, I, I give kibble a hard time, you know, a lot of the time, but within the raw food world as well, because it's becoming such a popular way to feed our dogs, there are people in the raw food feeding world, like commercially, that aren't doing the right thing by our dogs. And, you know, a while ago now, I was asked to support a particular company and brand. And when I looked at their ingredient list, there was absolutely, and this was like a food marketed for puppies, for adult dogs, but there was absolutely no source of calcium in their meals. I mean, giving that to a puppy, I was just like, there's no words. I was so shocked to read that and to learn that. I confronted the company about it and they've since changed their formula, but there was a long period of time where that company was selling food to puppies with no calcium. And the detrimental effect of that on the long-term health of those dogs is just so upsetting to Mm. think about. You need to be careful. You need to do your due diligence, even when it comes to commercial raw companies as well, which again, is why we go back to big dog. So I think we'll leave it there. Before we do wrap up though, you've got a few products that have been successful for you that we've talked about over a couple of episodes. Talk about that and then we can wrap up the show. The Vet Activate range Mm. has been hugely popular. They've got two turmeric-based products. One's a powder that contains rosehip and the pepper as well to really optimise absorption and get the most bang for your buck out of that turmeric. And then they've got an even more potent liquid curcuminoid blend. It's got seven different curcuminoids in it. I find that particularly beneficial for dogs with severe inflammatory states and joint issues. So, you know, our Frenchy ladybug with the spinal condition, like she was a perfect candidate for the liquid version because you pop it in the mouth and it gets absorbed through the capillaries in the mouth and bypasses digestion. And to know why that's important, go back and listen to my episode on the difference between turmeric and curcumin. Mm. And my liquid herbal range is just going through the roof. So there's the pure milk thistle. And if you want to hear about like the amazing health benefits of milk thistle for dogs, like just jump onto Dr. Karen Becker or Rodney Habib's pages because they just don't stop highlighting. It's just what every dog literally needs for every day of its life, given the world we live in. So that's really popular. And my mushroom elixir is super popular. So that's a great one for any dogs, particularly with cancer, but any chronic illnesses or immune deficiencies or just, you know, that's struggling to recover after surgery. But lots of different blends on the website. So you can sort of scroll through and see if there's something that suits you. Turkey tail has just exploded through the industry. Yes, turkey tail is in my mushroom elixir. So as of next week, I will be also selling a pure turkey tail through my website shop. So naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au to access both the Vet Activate range and the liquid herbal tonics. And again, Dr. Karen Becker said that turkey tail is probably the most important thing that you can give your dog generally for health and well-being. If you don't find something that you think fits your dog um, when you look through the shop, just give me an email. I have lots of people that send me bespoke requests. Yes, I make up custom blends and you know I get some really interesting situations that dogs are in that requires custom herbal blending. So that's all possible. I just need to know about it. So shoot me an email if that sounds like it might be for you. And it's one thing to order it, but I guess the side that complements it is the backup there where people are writing back to you and saying it's being transformative. It's had an amazing effect on the dog. And that's really what you want to hear. You don't want to hear that 
people are just listening to a podcast and getting talked into buying a product, what we actually want to hear is that it's actually working and it's having a an overall holistic effect on the dog, which people are sending Narelle amazing information back, which she comes in and shows me and says, oh, look what such and such has said and this dog's benefiting and this it's changed behaviour or this one's had a health change. Mm. And that's why Narelle's doing this. It's not just to sell products and try and make a little cash off the side. It's actually to help pet owners and their dogs live their best life. So talk to her. You can get a lot of information. She backs it up. Narelle's always looking at the science behind it rather than just the woo. So it's not just something that makes her feel good. She actually needs to know that it's scientifically backed as well. Yeah. And I must say, it does make my day when I get stories back on, you know, how- Testimonials. That's the word, testimonials. Mm. It, just my heart sings. That sounds really cheesy, but it, it does. I can't, can't stop grinning because it, to literally to change the quality of life for a dog is just so rewarding, which is why I do what I do, as you said. Mm. If you want to get in contact with me, it's narelle at naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au or jump onto my website, naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. There's the Facebook page, Natural Health for People and Pets. So if you've got any questions. And Instagram. Oh, yeah, I'm really bad at Instagram, but I'm on there. I'm going to get better. Mm. So um, watch that space too. Otherwise, that's the show for today. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.